Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're sitting on the floor of this airport. Bags to the side, legs stretched out. People, thousands of people walking by, walking over us, walking over our leg. And he looks at, now he had already had some films out. So he was kind of a little more familiar with what was to come. And he said, you know, Vin, take all this in. Take in the fact that all these people are just walking by us. And I said, why? And he said, because when this movie comes out, our anonymity will be gone. Ask any podcaster, any real podcaster. It doesn't matter if you record in person or over video chat. Podcasting's podcasting. Welcome to EW's Binge of the Fast Saga, full transcripts of which are available on EW.com. I'm Derek Lawrence, a.k.a. the guy who went as Dominic Toretto for two straight Halloweens. And as that icon once said, the most important thing in life will always be the people in this Zoom, right here, right now. And for me, that's the Don to my Brian, the Letty to my Mia, the Roman to my Tej, the Giselle to my Han, Chanel Berlin Johnson. Chanel, are you ready to relive Fast and Furious one film at a time? Oh, I'm so ready. I feel like uh, for both of us, probably been waiting our whole lives for an excuse to do something like this. And now it's here and I'm ready to dive in and talk about each movie in depth with all the players. This is like a dream come true. Um, you know, I feel like people can tell we're just beaming with excitement to to finally start this. Um, now, you know, people might be asking, you know, why are we doing this? Like, what what's yeah. what's the occasion? Well, first off, you must not know us very well if you just right. ask that question. Because like I said, any day. Yes, absolutely. These are, if we were still in the office, we'd be having these conversations every day. We're having them over Slack. So this is just two friends getting to talk fast with yes. the fast family. Now, I mean, you mentioned this is like we've been waiting a long time, maybe our whole lives, but definitely like me, I, I first like came up with this idea for hopefully that EW could do this like four years ago. And we were finally ready to roll last March. We were literally one day away from one day, one day away from recording our first interview in the office. These were going to be in person. I was so hyped. And then, well, I think you could figure out uh, why that didn't happen. Um, (laughs) But we are obsessed with these movies as we've probably just displayed now and will be on full display throughout uh, this whole series. Um, But more importantly, we're celebrating 20 years of Fast and Furious this June, um, as well as the release of the highly anticipated and space bound. F9. Yes. It's, it's happening. Uh, so many, I, I, that, that means a lot of things are happening. F9's happening. Yeah. We've been waiting. We were still in the office when that trailer dropped, that first trailer. Mm-hmm. And I still remember my reaction to it. I, um, you know, they had a big, uh, premiere for it at the Super Bowl in Miami. Um, when we could still go to events and yeah. I was watching the live stream. I had my, my headphones in. I'm, I'm sitting there first. John Cena, they revealed John Cena is playing Jacob Toretto, Dom's yeah. brother. 
I, I think I laughed. I literally laughed <laughs> so hard. I was just like, oh my God, are they really doing that? It's awesome. Yeah. And, and, then they, and then they did the big jump, like the, you know, Indiana Jones style, like Crazy. island to island, whatever we want to call that. And I was yeah. like, I think I like jumped out of my seat a little bit. And I was like, oh man, that was a roller coaster. They just gave us four minutes. Wow. And then. You realize. Oh huh, my God. Han alive. And I literally, I think I screamed out loud. And like I said, I don't really know. I'm just locked in on this. So that finally ends. I put down my headphones. I look around. The whole office is staring at me. They don't know what <laughs> was just going on. And I just yell at justice for Han around the office. Um, look, I mean, unfortunately, we, we in the office, we didn't sit next to each other. So you're probably doing the same thing way on the yeah. other other side, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. I feel it's just surprise after surprise in that first trailer, which is amazing that they can still do that for us, even, you know, this deep into it. Who could have anticipated uh, Han coming back the way he did? I'm so excited. Yeah. And so we've teased it a little bit here, but it goes without saying that we don't have friends, Chanel. We have family, but we have have the actual Fast and Furious family. Starting with this debut episode, we'll be going through each Fast film with one of its stars or a behind-the-scenes star in the case of director Justin Lin. And when I say stars, I mean these stars. Like, yes, the competition is going to be so furious with how stacked this lineup is. We've got Michelle Rodriguez, Sung Kang, Ludacris, Jordana Brewster, Tyrese, Lucas Black, Natalie Emanuel, Jacob Toretto, a.k.a. John Cena... But today, to talk about the one that started it all, it's Toretto, Chanel. It's always been Toretto. Yes, <laughs> Vin Diesel is here to go deep on 2001's The Fast and the Furious. Still a classic, no matter how different it is from what we've come to know Fast to be now. But before we uh, dive into our chat with Vin, who was great, he gave us a lot of time, a lot of incredible information that I had never heard of, heard before. But what should people know about that first movie? Yeah, well, hopefully everybody listening to this has watched all of the movies and are just as obsessed as us. But if you need a little refresher because you haven't um, seen it in a while, uh, of course, you know, you'll see the gang come together, sort of the origin story for all of it now. Uh, well, we have Brian, of course, um, new to town undercover cop well not new to town undercover cop and he's trying to investigate what's going on with this crew um these thefts and uh gets kind of caught up in the the um the fast world and falls in love with them essentially like it's truly kind of a love story but it's not just about obviously there's the main one with, with mia but it's about the whole crew and everything they do together he just gets dives right in and of course as you know at the end, even sort of uh, forsakes his life as a cop because he is all about the family now, just like us. That's how we, we all feel at the end of the movie. So um, I can't wait to get into it and talk about it with Vin and uh, see see um, or revisit all of the stuff that we loved about it and learn things we didn't know before. <laughs> yeah, you're really right about that first film. Brian really was... He mm-hmm. was the audience avatar. Like he, he as he was entering this world, we were entering this world that we didn't know anything about. I mean, he also felt like my personal avatar. I remember uh, we had a, this. Go and speaks to how obsessed I am with these movies. When uh, EW, a bunch of our coworkers moved out uh, from New York to LA a couple years ago, and kind of as a bonding thing, I found out a lot of them had never wow. seen a Fast and Furious film, which was like a yeah, personal what? affront to me. And so, so I was like I invited a bunch of people over. We we were like, all right, we're going to binge these. We we, uh, we did the first one. And I remember realizing that uh, Paul Walker's character was going by yeah. the name Brian Spilner. 
And his, his fake ID said he's from Tucson, Arizona. And I was like, wait, <laughs> I'm from Tucson, Arizona. I used to live in Tucson, Arizona. And then I was like, I have blue eyes. Paul, like Brian has blue you eyes. Are. I was like, am I Brian? So like, that's how deep, I, that's how deep I got sucked into it. Um, but enough about me and, and my, uh, comparison of myself to, to Brian. Um, we, uh, do make sure though to stay tuned after we're done with Vin because Chanel and I will be hopping back on to have a bit more fun with Fast One and hand out some awards. I mean, we all know Fast deserves yeah. some awards love. So we're here to do that. Um, but I've learned it's not how you talk about your interview. It's how you conduct your interview. Yes. So let's get into it. Here's Fast Patriarch Vin Diesel. What the hell's going on around here? Streets closed, pizza boy. Find another way home. Goddamn street racer. Ask any podcaster, any real podcaster. It doesn't matter if you talk to Vin Diesel for a minute or an hour. Winning's winning. And we're the true victors today because we're joined by Dominic Toretto himself, the one and only Vin Diesel. Vin, welcome to our, our binge of Fast and Furious. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, we had to start with you for, for the first film. I mean, this is, you know, truly a classic 20 years of fast. It's I can't believe that. So it's uh, we're, we're really excited to start with you on this first film. Oh my God, 20 years ago, from the very weekend that the first Fast and Furious opened. Um, so many memories, so many wonderful, wonderful wonderful memories surrounding that time, that time in my life when this movie was finally coming out. I remember it was supposed to come out in March and I had gotten a call um, saying that they wanted to move it to June. And I was like, but I've been waiting for this movie to come out in March. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, and uh, they said, no, then that's a good thing that they're moving it to the summer. Um, of course, it was it. it was yeah, it. I love the symmetry now. Like you said, you know, it, the it's meant to be. Obviously, we would have loved to see F nine last year, but the fact that it's you know going to essentially be twenty years on the dot that was kind of feels meant to be. Mm-hmm. It, it, it does feel meant to be. It not only feels meant to be. Um, again, similar situation last year. I thought it was going to come out in May. I was excited. I told all the fans, and uh, we had to push it. A year. Um, (laughs) But who would have thought last year it would have been a blockbuster release because it's F9. This year, it's a call back to that theatrical experience. Mm -hmm. That theatrical experience we have all missed and we don't realize how much we've missed. We've been entertained and watching movies on our couch. And we forgot that explosive electric feeling of being in a theater as an audience, as one, as a community, engaged in this spectacle. And you never know how much you, you miss something until it's gone. And, and so it's, it's, uh, I'm really proud that Universal is willing to be that blockbuster that comes in and says, Let's get back to the movies together. Yes. We, we need it. We need it. Um, we need well, it. We really need it. <laughs> yeah. I'll, of all these interviews, we're st- we start by quoting uh, a great man's words. You know, he, I live my life a quarter mile at a time. Nothing else matters. For those 10 seconds or less, I'm free. So this is a challenge. But how would you sum up this first fast film in 10 seconds? 
I live my life a quarter mile at a time. <laughs> <laughs> that is truly perfect. I, I can't think of a better way to do it. I, I remember actually uh, the studio head, I think a few years back, said, um, commented on that scene and said, if that scene was a tricky scene then. And he said, you know, some actors might not have been able to pull that off. And if it didn't work, the whole franchise never would have worked. It was that moment that cemented the Fast and Furious uh, into pop culture and in making it the world suck. Yeah, it is. It's like the, the moment where you get the heart, not for the first time, but where it really sinks in. And it's perfect. It's so true. And what's so exciting about F9 is we revisit that moment from a oh. different perspective. Ooh. Oh, that's exciting. Well, that's a tease. That's an A-plus tease right there. That's, oh my <laughs> gosh. That, I mean, yeah, I don't want to jump in, but that scene, I had written down to ask you about that scene because I'll admit it. So I had a, a fast watch party a couple years ago. A few people that I knew hadn't seen them. I'm like, we're changing this. We're watching fast one and going through them all. And every that, <sighs> scene, came, that scene came on. And first, you know, obviously Paul's incredible kicking it off with his kind of like, I almost had you. And then you walk around the car. I literally said to everyone, I was like, this is movie star stuff right here. Like, this is this right here. So like, <laughs> when you see a scene like that on paper, are you just like, like kind of salivating as like knowing, you know, the potential of what you can do with something like that? I, I was. I was so excited by that scene. Um, it was... It was in some ways the biggest scene that we had in the movie because there were the most people around. Uh, and the people that were in the scene were real illegal streetcar racers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they were feeding with such authentic energy that um, it made it so much easier for Paul and I to delve into the scene and really rip it apart. We were lucky. We were lucky. We had started before production prepping for that scene. So one of the things that we did uh, as actors in preparation for that scene was we did go to illegal streetcar races. Now, I grew up in New York City. And in New York City, in Manhattan, you won't see a lot of helicopters. And you definitely won't see helicopters disperse anything, like any kind of <laughs> yeah. illegal streetcar racing. That's not going to happen. But... Paul grew up in L.A. and was accustomed to helicopters breaking up illegal streetcar races. And I wasn't. So I remember when the helicopters came, I'm like, well, which way do you run? <laughs> <laughs> and I have this image of uh, Paul and I running over this bridge. Now, we haven't even filmed the movie yet. So we really don't, you know, we're really putting ourselves out there. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm one of the illegal streetcar racers. Uh, all great people that ended up forming this, like, uh, you know, legal form of these races. Um, said, get in, get in. And very similar to the scene of, of Brian saying, get in to Dom when he's running in East LA. Yeah. It's it, all those memories, the memories of going to Cuba to better prepare for the character because he owned a Cuba bodega. All the, you know, that was the time um, when I had all the time in the world to prepare like crazy for every single, every single role. Uh, but yeah, that'll always stay with me. So that scene that you mentioned where I go, you almost had me, 
there was a lot that led up to that. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, and again, it was the crowd there that was so electric, so appropriately authentic that added to that. What are you smiling about? Dude, I almost had you. <laughs> you almost had me? You never had me. You never had your car. Granny shifting, not double clutching like you should. You're lucky that 100 shot of Nas didn't blow the welds on the intake. Almost had me? Now me and the mad scientist gotta rip apart the block and replace the piston rings you fried. Ask any racer, any real racer. It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. Take us back to, to fast coming into your life and your initial reaction. I know it took a little bit of convincing. You were kind of like all in and then you were kind of like, uh, I don't know about this. So kind of take me back through that process. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No one would ever think that. You have to understand. So if I've come into this industry, if I'm acting since I'm seven years old and I can't get a role and I can't get, I can't break. Uh, and I then go to independent film and become a director and a writer and a producer and do a short film and then do a feature film and go to con with the short and then Sundance with the feature. I'm very precious about trying to do the best work possible at all costs. And so when I was given the script, because Universal I know this sounds crazy, but Universal ended up releasing or being involved in the release of Pitch Black. Mm. And that was the only other movie I, I had done of that size. And so they said, we got this movie that's about illegal streetcar racing. Um, and we want you to play this character, Dom, ah, who's a tough guy, an outlaw with a heart and a code. Mm. Okay. I'm in. And then they described that scene that you see in the first movie where the camera goes through my eye and down my arm and into the engine. And that's the only thing they described. And I said, yes, I'm in. The next day, I'm supposed to go to the premiere in Australia, I believe, for Pitch Black. And I read the script and I go, mm. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> And my father, who is such an important person in my life, is so such a purist about art that I I got that from him. <laughs> and so, um, you know, we grew up in an artist housing in New York City, where if you made more than ten thousand dollars a year, you were kicked out of the building. <laughs> we were like, we're we're real artists. And so I'm going. This is I'm conflicted here because this script is not what I thought it would be. They hire David Ayer. Mm -hmm. That day, they asked me to come in and we do a page by page uh, critique slash rewrite. And David Ayer goes off and writes this great script and the rest is history. When do you feel like 
you really got Dom, was it during that process of right, re- going through the rewrites with David Ayer or was it later? When do you feel like you really were like, okay, this is, this is it? Great question. Great, great question. Um, I had felt like I had gotten, the irony is I felt like I had gotten what the character wanted to be in the first script, but I felt that there were things conflicting with his truth. And that's where David Ayer came in. And he said, I remember him saying, the Dom character is so complex. I've never seen anything like it since Alfonso when Denzel played oh, Alfonso yeah. for him. And so I, I kind of appreciated that he had res- kind of was able to see the complexities of the character and, t- and to start kind of, um, I'm sure he didn't imagine we'd be 20 years <laughs> later releasing Fast 9 and exploring more of this Dom character. Uh, I'm sure he didn't. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I got the, the, the world and what the, where the world, what the world was about, but the character just needed some fine tuning and, and some other characters needed some fine tuning as well, like the Letty character, um, across the board. And, uh, they were, I'm just so lucky that they were open to it all. Um, and that they really, that they really wanted me to be, to feel great about it and confident about it. And that's not the normal Hollywood story, but my Hollywood story has never been the normal Hollywood story. You know, being an actor in the eighties and the nineties as a multicultural actor, there weren't uh, a whole lot of opportunities. Which is why I ended up doing my own films like Multifacial. I don't know if you've ever seen Multifacial. Yeah, absolutely. But the idea that I went down that road and then this industry that I had been begging to be a part of for two decades, more than two decades, finally comes and says, we're not only going to, we're not going to ask you to audition. We're going to write a role for you in Saving Private Ryan. And so nothing about my, my journey has, I, I was typical, I guess. Uh, and I'm grateful for that because it's allowed me to be that much more invested in the films that I've been a part, lucky enough to be a part of. Yeah. It, I mean, it just really shows like from the beginning and you guys have always been great about, you know, everyone's listening to everyone. Right. And like, you know, any concerns you're hearing it out and like kind of shows that, you know, that can lead to some success. That's, that's my mantra. So. Uh, we had done an interview yesterday and they, they asked, um, do you t- still take notes from the studio? And I take notes from my stand-in. I take notes from the driver. I take <laughs> notes from the nurse. I take notes from any human that will spend a second to think about this masterpiece we're trying to make. I will take it from, I take notes from my five-year-old kid. I will take notes from anybody. I'm not precious. Yeah. I'll sync up later with you for my uh, ideas for wrapping up the franchise. Right. We'll, we'll, we'll talk later. We'll talk later. Um, so, you know, so you're fully on board and Paul was already signed on, you know, he had worked with Neil and Rob on, on the skulls. So then, right. I mean, this movie doesn't work if that dynamic isn't right. Like it, it just doesn't. So, so true. Yeah. So what was it like, you know, was that chemistry just instant there with Paul? Like, obviously, you know, you guys are off going to street races. So clearly you, you got along pretty good from the beginning. We got along clearly from the beginning. I first met him at Dodger Stadium. We were testing out our cars. Part of the process of fast is 
we've always auditioned our cars. So the cars <laughs> have been such a significant part and representation of our characters that there is a process of casting, right? Uh, of casting the exact vehicle for the state of mind that the character's in or mm -hmm. the journey that the character's going through. But you, would you go back to that time? We're just coming out of the East Coast, West Coast beef. Yeah. If you can remember where you are, 1999, this is not common for a New Yorker and a West Coast to kind of find common ground, which in some ways lends itself to each character journey and the relationship and the objective of finding that brotherhood. It's no one would ever associate that, but we were just coming from it was very, it was still popular that there was a divide. We were still getting over the deaths of Tupac and Biggie, and it was still very much present in our lives. There was that. So when I came on, it was me and my New York crew and him and his West Coast crew, and to see that brotherhood formed. Um, added something special to to the movie. Had you been familiar with Paul's work before this movie at all? Like, had you seen him in other stuff or the first time you met him was kind of the first time you saw him? No, I saw him in Skulls and I thought it was incredible. I, I had seen him, I, I had seen his work. And I, um, but I, uh, when I met him, that was a whole nother level because I saw an authenticity that was uh, just right for the movie industry just prime for something like this he through the years has always been the one with that um that's helped while i'm off thinking about story or while i'm off um thinking about stunts and casting and dynamics and how to realize the impossible he would often cover us by you know owning automotive shops um doing races, actually becoming a racer, a, a streetcar racer, and then actually running on the track. And he would do that to contribute to the legitimacy of, that's what's in some ways so hard about when, when, when he left us, because in some ways, and I know this isn't, this uh, interview is not supposed to go that way, but, um, it was, he was, uh, at, uh, doing a fundraiser at a garage where he was, um, collecting cars and, uh, yeah. Bless him. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, every, like I said, we're doing that oral history. Anybody I talked to, I didn't even have to bring up, bring up Paul. They would and just, you know, say nothing but, you know, beautiful things. So, um, yeah. you know, we miss him. And, uh, what, as, as, as important as we talked about that relationship, it was obviously you and Michelle, you know, portraying a very different relationship with Dom and Letty. Um, and, you know, that has just kept on going and become one of, you know, a, 
the most recognized, you know, couples in film history, I, I dare to say. Uh, but talking to her, she said it was it was funny early on because, you know, you talked about you come from this very, you know, actor, you know, professional actor realm. And she's like, she literally said to me, I'm just this crazy girl from Jersey City on her second movie. <laughs> um, so what was it like kind of early on, you guys kind of uh, working out this, you know, uh, obviously this now legendary chemistry between you two? One of the things I was working with David Aaron was kind of, her character as well, because she she was from East Coast as well, and she kind of represented where we were from. And you know, as a minority, you want to that wasn't common in cinema. So you wouldn't you if you imagine twenty years ago in the nineties that Michelle Rodriguez would be this iconic figure that represents a love in cinema like we have never seen before. You would say, well you would pick a million other actors. But there is no actor in Hollywood that could boast of a love like Michelle Rodriguez. No one has that. No one's done billions of, garnered billions of people and audiences around the world that want to ride or die in the way that that uh, Unleady character does. Wants to, that's an iconic, uh, and something we didn't realize, but we were, but when I think about it and I go back to the first movie, maybe subconsciously there was that dream that that would be our world's love story. These kind of, uh, yeah. non-typical, um, Hollywood types would be the ones. And it was a contrast, a deliberate contrast between the Brian and Mia relationship. The Brian and Mia relationship was more uh, conventional and the relationship between Dom and, and Letty was not conventional and they weren't perfect. And somehow right when the turn of the millennium, the audience started to lean into that as a, as a representation of what relationships might be in the new millennium. That is definitely something that stuck out to me. I remember I was 14, I think when the first movie came out, and so, you know, I, that blew my mind just to see both uh, both Michelle and Jordana like in those roles as these leading women. And it's even rewatching it. It's still cool to me that like, yeah, Letty's involved in the heists and everything like that, too. Uh, right. As you as you evolved that relationship, uh, like Michelle says that she kind of leaves sort of the the romantic arc to you to help guide her. And then she's just like down the ride. Uh, but what are those conversations like as you're sort of figuring out those beats for Dom and Letty? I didn't read a lot of reviews, but I heard all the reviews were good from the first one. Yeah. And then someone said, I forgot what it was, New York Times or something. Someone said the only crime of Fast and the Furious is we didn't get to explore enough of Dom and Letty. And maybe I've kept that in the back of my head. But after the fourth one, when her character was written out of the movie, I mean, I can remember right to, the, I, I, I was already saying she will have to, you, she will have to be in the movie. Letty will have to be in this mythology in order for us or me or all of us to um, construct the next trilogy. You mm -hmm. will need this archetype. This archetype will be needed for this mythology to progress. And it's been, if you really think about it, you know, you go through four avenging Letty, 
that brings Dom back. Yeah. Right? And then when you go to five, you end with, you, when you go to five, um, Ilsa Pataki's character is trying to fill in for Letty, and then you realize how much he's misses his true mm-hmm. soulmate. Yeah. And then at the end of five, even Mendez comes in and goes, do you believe in ghosts? <laughs> Best moment. <laughs> Which, I mean, if... if- if we're taking notes, I'll take Eva Mendez back. If we're just like throwing in yeah. little, little <laughs> notes, no, no. just wait. We'll just wait for ten. Oh, let's go. Let's just say. Let's just say the fact that you guys know that the studio is saying there's. I can't. We can't cover all this ground that needs to be covered in just one movie. You can only imagine what is to come. Yeah. Oh man. Ooh. Oh. Oh, getting me excited just talking so to you about it. So much packed in. Uh, you, uh, you know, obviously filming on a fast one is so different from filming on an F9. Like, you know, not even the, apart from the budgets or the stakes on screen, just like you guys were so under the radar on that first one. Uh, so what was it like thinking back on that? You know, we're talking summer 2000. Uh, you guys are just, you know, running around LA, going to street races, you know, having a good time. Yeah. What, yeah. what was that like? Amazing. Um, I, I often tell this story because after we made the movie, we went to, I don't know if you remember MTV Spring Break. Uh, yeah. We went to Mexico for MTV Spring Break. And um, we, I mean, we ha- I remember we had to like circle around. We couldn't go to an airport. The plane was about to, whatever. Anyway, uh, but on our way home, we just wanted to go back commercial because we didn't, we didn't feel too comfortable. Um, Paul and I, right? So Paul and I are, I will never forget this. We're sitting on the floor of this airport, bags to the side, legs stretched out, people, thousands of people walking by, walking over us, walking over our leg. <laughs> and he looks at, now he had already had some films out. So he was, kind of a little more familiar with what was to come. And he said, you know, Vin, take all this in. Take in the fact that all these people are just walking by us. And I said, why? And he said, because when this movie comes out, our anonymity will be gone. And it was so telling. And it was yeah. so, it was surreal. It was surreal. He knew. How he he knew something. And I was always in the making. And I was, that's where my mind was. I had just come from directing movies and writing movies. So, but he had this ability to see. It's like, you know, he would always say, every time we'd come out of a movie, every time we'd come out of a premiere, he'd always say, it would just be me and him for whatever movie it was. Everyone would be, the studio would be away from us, the cast and the crew, and everybody would always give us our moment. And he'd always say, Ben, the best one's still in the can. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't hear the ball? They're going crazy. We yeah. need the best one still in the can. 
I can't. I can't imagine walking out of Fast Five and thinking like, "Oh man, There's we're gonna more. top this one." Like, man, the confidence that that takes. I love it. I love oh that. Oh my god, it was just so funny. It was just, and like clockwork every time. <laughs> Paul. Oh man. Is it is it wild to think back? Like, obviously, in recent movies, like we have everything from flying cars to a nuclear submarine. Is it like wild when you sit there and think back? Like, this started with hijacking some DVD players, like which is like such a two thousand one <laughs> yeah. thing. But it's like quite the origin story of DVD players. It is. It, it totally started in a different place, and it's, it started very humble. And I guess that's something that I, I'm grateful for that we were able to start from humble beginnings so that you could really um, connect with these characters without all the spectacle. The spectacle came as the movies needed to start one-upping themselves. And as the audience started to uh, expect the unexpected and they would want to, you go to see fast and you see that in a theater for good reason. Because you know you're going to go, <gasps> something they don't t teach in film school. They never, they teach you, and in, in every writing, script writing class, they teach you all kinds of how to draw emotion, how to create, you know, different archetypes. But nobody teaches you how to create the <gasps> feeling. And that feeling is what fast is. Did did the first script have that moment for you where you were like, oh, my God, like, this is insane. <laughs> that that first script did have that moment. That first script, when the car goes over, flips over. Yeah. That was, do that that was done practical. So you can only imagine how. Yeah. I mean. If it was done practical, it meant that it had to be done practical. There was no digital option. Right. There was no CGI option. So you can only imagine when I saw that, I was like, oh, my God. We've got to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back. Let's jump back into the interview. What uh, we're, we're obviously now, you know, nine films in, you know, two more to go, which is like all that. I mean, that's wild to think just, you know, regardless of anything. But the fact is like, too, who would have guessed that when you, you know you obviously opted, you know, not to return originally. Um, And, you know, this is something we talked about, you know, when Bloodshot was coming out, we talked about how to kind of your mindset of world building. Um, you know, you've done it with so many different franchises, Riddick, you know, Fast, Triple X. Um, but you, you know, what was the thought process there going back? I know you originally said you asked Universal not to make a sequel because you thought it would ruin the ability for that first one to be a classic, which I'm thankful that that was not the case. Uh, we, we could we could report that it's still a classic uh, nine yeah. movies later. So what, what was that thought process like just for you originally back, you know, then after the success of the first one? Well, I was a fan of classics. So Rebel Without a Cause, 
Wild on the Waterfront, or like older movies that were classics. And I, I had seen movies get sequelized, and quite often studios would just brand the movie. So they would put, slap the title, and they weren't trying to Francis Ford Coppola the movie. They weren't trying to go that extra level to make sure that you were building off of the existing story and the existing characters and having those characters evolve. You just simply call it a, a, you know, whatever the brand thing is and not evolve the story in an episodic fashion. Um, so that's why I, I said, guys, if you do another one, you're going to jeopardize this first one being a classic. Um, and of course, script is, was always something very important to me. Um, so if, uh, I didn't feel like, if I didn't feel comfortable with the script, I was crazy enough to turn down offers that, you know, I, I remember turning down the offer for Too Fast, Too Furious. And my father, who I just said is this incredible, altruistic, pure artist. You sure you want to do that, son? I thought he was going to say, Oh, I'm a, well, you, you can't be bought. I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> and he flipped it on me and said, you sure you want to? <laughs> but That's by doing that, but by doing that, you send a message with your actions that you have to continue with integrity. So if I didn't opt out of being in the second one, I never would have been able to be in a position to become the producer and to have such an um, incredible role in the thinking. Uh, they, I remember when I did the fourth one, the roles now had reversed. I was saying, you know what? I, have, I see so far into this mythology. You could save a lot of money if you just film four and five together. And they almost kicked me off the universal line. <laughs> like, cal calm down, man. Calm yeah. down. Get out of here. <laughs> You're lucky we didn't make a fast four. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, I mean, very important question. How many films do you think we we would have gotten if the original title of Red Line had stuck? Like two red line, two red, two line doesn't really have the same ring to it. No, uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Could we have been? Are we? We be sitting here with Red Line? Yeah, that's another thing that's around that. I, I, it was called Redline and I wanted to keep Redline and cause I just wanted to, because I've been thinking Redline, right? Yeah. Um, and it was Neil Moritz who called me and said, uh, I got the title. I got the title. And this was after, um, right before we were about to open the movie. So around that time when I, when I, uh, shared with you that they were moving the date to the summer and I didn't understand what that meant. And I thought, are they going to put, will this movie ever come out? Yeah. <laughs> Please come out. I was like, I didn't know anything about dating movies. Um, and so at that time, there was another call from, from Neil Moritz, who, uh, where he said, ah, I got the title. I, I, I think it should be. The Fast and the Furious. And then it just grew on me. It just grew on me. 
Yeah, at, at first you're like, wait, so you want to push my movie a couple months and change the title? This is this is this. What, what is going so, on here? I, I, yeah, I had like I was so um, because you know I had the big dreams when I went to Sundance. You know, I, when I went to Sundance a couple of years earlier, uh, we had heard all this uh, about films going to Sundance and selling for all this money and and getting picked up and getting distributed. And mine didn't get distributed. So I, there was always that fear, like, if you push it, are you going to shelve this movie? Is anyone ever going to see it? Um, so that coupled with name change, you could see how you could be. Yeah. Some worries there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then we'll, we'll wrap up with what we were calling the finish line, a kind of rapid uh, fire uh, questions about the, you know, the film and the franchise. So I guess I would... Uh, the first question, this idea came for me because of you being in Tokyo Drift, like you getting dropped in, especially after they had already filmed the movie and then they drop you in. So say say we have a time machine and we could go back and add someone to this first fast movie. We're not replacing anybody, but we're adding maybe it's someone who came in a fast film later or just an actor you think would have been a great fit. Like who 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 are we going in the time machine and putting in fast one? That has never been in the franchise or has Either one. Been in- Either one, whatever, whatever feels right. Mm, I guess if I were to think um, where we're going um, with the next chapter and Michael Payne, I might have, I, I might have found a way. If I, you're, you're saying if I could have redesigned the mythology or added little elements to the mythology. I could have done something with Helen Mirren and Michael Caine's character and played something out. I could have introduced something in the future. That would have been amazing. Oh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're not giving up on that. Yeah. We still got a few films to make that, uh, to make yeah. that happen. Um, then each episode we have what we're calling uh, Derek's Embarrassing Story of the Week, where I kind of, uh, maybe they're not embarrassing, but it really shows my my fandom. And usually we just have one, but I have a few for this one. So I'm going to let you pick which is the most embarrassing uh, Derek Story of the Week here. So we'll start. Number one, I went as Dom for two straight Halloweens. Not just one, two straight Halloweens. Uh, maybe, you know, we'll see. Maybe they'll they'll add in the photo uh, in post and the people will get to <laughs> see that. Amazing. I don't know. I don't know. Hold on. Hold on. All right. All right. I'm all right. So la- last March, it was like the 30th day of, uh, you know, where the world shut down. We're in quarantine. I decided to take a drive over to the Toretto house. I had always wanted to go. I went over and I walked. I checked out the Toretto house and then I walked down the street to the Toretto shop, which I did not realize was right so down close. the street. I did not realize that. So, and I walked in and bought a Corona. Of course, I, I mean, I had to do it. So that's, that's so awesome. So, that's number <laughs> that's so two. Awesome. We got we got two more coming, so we, we might still top uh, top these. Oh, okay, that was awesome. <laughs> number three, my parents came to visit a few years ago. We're driving down the PCH. We we drive past Neptune's uh, net, and I'm like, that looks familiar. And then I immediately was like, Fast One, Dom, Brian, Meal, there. Let's go eat. We so go many eat. memories. So <laughs> many memories. Wait, not only do we go eat, my stepmom happily recreates the shot of you and Paul sitting there, like leaning over the table, and that that is one of my most prized possessions. That's so, so awesome. 
And then lastly, I'm wearing a Toretto shirt. So that's number four. So we'll, we'll let, <laughs> so we'll let you, what's, what's the number, what's the best, what's the story there? Whether it's most embarrassing, whatever, whatever is your favorite of those four. Um, the most embarrassing of two Halloweens. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Who repeats a costume? That's fair. That's fair. Come on. At least face, come at, on. Least, at least face it out. I know. I deserve that's that. That's awesome. No, that's <laughs> they're all. By the way, Derek, they're all wonderful stories. And, and that's why I always enjoy talking to you about this franchise because you, you appreciate it. And that, that makes all of the efforts all the hard work, all the perilous stunts and action sequences that myself and my amazing stunt team always do, it makes it all count. And I appreciate that. I appreciate you for let, allowing <laughs> me to have a costume to dress up in two times a year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why did I think of that? I, you know how many years I've gone not knowing what to wear, not knowing what to be? What am I thinking? Yeah. It's right there. <laughs> it's what staring at me in the mirror. <laughs> yeah. Wrapping up, kind of we we've talked around F nine a little bit, but what would be your maybe uh, tease when we're finally back in theaters? Might be the most yes. anticipated movie of all time, at least for me. I'm biased, but yes. yes. Um, but what would be your F nine tease for all the fans out there that have been patiently waiting? Ah, uh, there's so much good stuff. I would say that if the whole—I mean, this—the the whole world has this kind of excitement about this movie coming out. But for those that have been with the franchise, it's even more special because if you could remember the first movie, you are now going to go. You're going to go before the first movie and understand the first movie even more. I, I don't, I don't know if that's Ooh. a, I'm saying that's like, that's cool stuff. If you're, I'm a D and D head stuff. So that's like origin stuff is yeah. just <laughs> to, to see family members. You never thought you would have seen is going to kind of blow your mind. Oh, that's beautiful. To see the point we, we've been wanting to know what poetry has where was Dom before he became Dom? Like what? What? Who was his influences? What? Was, that's going to be really rich with story and um, a lot of fun to see. That's yeah. Nah. yeah. I, I love that too because that that makes me uh, my first thing that came to my mind was that uh, Fast Five scene with you and Paul on the balcony talking about your dads. You know so. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, no, I'd love to hear that we're, maybe we'll get a little peek, uh, yeah. Going yeah. Back. yeah, I was also That's thinking good. too, that there's so many callbacks in other movies. So I was, I, one of the things I wanted to ask you was like, what's something that you've loved to be able to bring back, but it sounds like the best is yet to come then. <laughs> so. The best, the best is yet to come. As Paul would say. That's, <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going to say. The best one's still in the can. Always. <laughs> You're, you're gonna have you're gonna do the the last one. You're still gonna be thinking that in the back of your head. You'll be like, but Paul said the best one still in the <laughs> I will always think that that will always be and and bless him for that and bless him for um uh, adding that that mo that momentum that motivation to always reach higher and 
making it something that has reverence and significance and uh, reminding us all to never rest on our laurels, but to earn every part of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I know the the second trailer will be out by the time people hear this. And we, I know there's a little Paul, you know, uh, nod we get in that. So I, I think we're all excited to uh, to see that bit of it too. Vin, I'm glad we didn't just almost have you. We we actually had you. So hopefully ah. we earned er, hopefully we earned your respect. And thanks uh, for becoming a part of the binge family. We Thank always you. love to talk always. to you. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Love, guys. Love. Yeah, right back. Right at back. You, at Thank you. you. I live my life a quarter mile at a time. Nothing else matters, not the mortgage, not the store, not my team and all their bullshit. For those 10 seconds or less, I'm free. All right, thank you so much to Vin Diesel for letting us climb in the ring with Ali. But we love these movies so much that we couldn't go without talking more about them. So. Considering the snobs at the Oscars and Golden Globes refuse, refuse to recognize Fast's greatness, we're bringing some justice and handing out a few awards. As Brian said in Fast One, if I win, I take the money and the respect. To some people, that's more important. Well, while he eventually won Dom's respect, we have to decide now who won our respects. What are you saying for this one, Derek? I mean, as we've talked about these awards, I feel like there's a lot of different ways you can go. You can, um, you can pick a character. You know, could it be Brian? Mm-hmm. You know, he earned Dom's respect. Did he earn our respect? Could it be an actor in it? And I think that's the direction I, I wanted to go in, which was uh, Paul Walker. Yeah. Um, and like, we'll talk a lot about Paul Walker throughout this whole uh, Ben series, but he is so good in this first movie. Him and Vin are both incredible. And we'll we'll get further in, into Vin as as well. But um, he, like, like you said at the top, he's the avatar into this. And if that, if we're not invested in him, we're not invested yeah. in, in any of this. And Paul Walker, we should say, Paul Walker was definitely someone that was was known. He wasn't a star, I would say, but he had yeah. definitely, he had been working a long time. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know that we knew he had this in him. He had done, you know, he had been on a soap opera. He had done um, movies as such as Varsity Blues. She's all that. He did The Skulls right before this, yeah. which that was like kind of the origin story of Fast because he was working on The Skulls with director Rob Cohen and producer Neil Moritz. And they all right. ended up uh, doing Fast together. But I think this really kind of changed the direction of his career. And for talking to everyone and, you know, spoiler alert for our interviews, you know, to come. Everyone can't, has such incredible things to say about him, but mostly just as a person. And, you know, he wasn't really locked in on these, you know, uh, on the industry. He had so many more interests outside of it. But I just feel like we had to say how incredible Paul is throughout these these movies, but especially in this first one. Um, we have an award coming up later that won't go to him, but easily could have. So yeah. I, I felt like he 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 earned that respect uh, here and, uh, our, you know, rest in peace, obviously. And, you know, we can't wait to keep talking about him through throughout this uh this series i totally agree with that two things about it like one it's a new role for him like a new type of he'd been sort of like a side character and other things and like i knew his face but this is in a way like his first real leading man kind of role and if we don't believe him like the movie falls apart because he has to be both like charming enough to want uh, to make the audience want him to like be accepted by the crew but at the same time like also apart from them enough that we believe sort of the depth of that betrayal and stuff as well um and he pulls off both (laughs) i want him to go on the run with 
Vin Diesel by the end of this movie. Yeah, speaking to producer Neil Moritz, he he said, he's like, Paul just had this thing. He's like, women wanted to be with him, guys wanted to be him. And like, obviously, that's a thing that, you know, that's he didn't make up that phrase. That's definitely been out there about, you know, you could say that about a lot of people. But like, I think when I heard him say that about Paul, that he's like, that's spot on. Like, he really... Yeah. But he also just talking to anyone. I remember talking to... Uh, Gabrielle Union a few years ago about her experience with Paul on uh, She's All That. And he just was like, he was the, you know, the, the most fun guy and you know, the nicest guy and uh, obviously a great actor as well. So yeah. all the respect to Paul, winner of this category. Next up, we've got, hey, this guy is in the movie. You know, we, we, we talk about all, you know, we're going to talk so much about uh, Paul Walker, Vin Diesel, Michelle Rodriguez, Jordana Brewster, but... We like to shout out the, you know, maybe the one-offs, the supporting players, the, you know, maybe someone hadn't really uh, achieved star status and you look back and mm-hmm. you're like, oh my God, they were in this. Um, for this one, it, it was Ted Levine. It was always yeah. Ted Levine. Buffalo Bill himself. <laughs> um, and I just, I just can't, I can't believe that he's in this movie. And it's always fun to go back and, and realize that he was. Yeah, absolutely. The energy is so different in this movie that I think, especially because, you know, when this movie came out, the first time I saw it, I'm not thinking about it like that. So it's like subsequent viewings of the movie later. It's like, oh, right. That is Buffalo Bill. <laughs> so wild. Yeah, uh, definitely on the opposite end of the spectrum of his performance in Silence of the Lambs, which is, for, yeah. which is good. I don't know that that would have fit in, uh, in this one. It's also kind of funny. I just realized there is a line. He's not around for it, but there's the line when Dom looks at the ID for Brian and he says, Brian Earl spilled there. That sounds like a serial killer. <laughs> Are you serious? Like it's kind of a nugget in there that's pretty funny considering who else is in the film. Wait, are you saying that Buffalo Bill somehow infiltrated the LAPD <laughs> and he was like, you know what? This is going to be my little tip of the hat. I'm going to give right. my, this young undercover cop a serial killer name. This is how I'm going to still have that ability in the world. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, li- I like that theory. Brian Earl Spilner. Sounds like a serial killer name. Is that what you are? No, man. Next up, quote of the, quote of the movie. And there's so many options on this one. Um, here's a few nominees. And then, Chanel, I'll let you uh, pick a winner. We have uh, Ja Rule. Shout out to Ja Rule. You know... There's going to be some maybe non shout outs to Ja Rule coming up, but he is in his, in his brief uh, appearance in this movie. He is fun. You got to remember Ja Rule's kind of really starting to, to blow up, you know, with his rap career at this time. He's got a great quote. It's not how you stand by your car. It's how you race your car. You better yeah. learn. You better learn that. Uh, and it's early in the movie too. <laughs> yeah. It's at that, at that first race. And it's before, you know, it's when it's a good scene. It's a, uh, you know, Paul Walker, Ja Rule. It's it's a fun one. So so there you go, Ja. There's there's your shout out. You sure? Yeah, I'm standing next to it. That's funny. You know, everyone happens to know a few things. And one of the things everyone knows is it's not how you stand by your car. It's how you race your car. You better learn that. We have a classic. I live my life a quarter mile at a time. Dom. What else has to be said about that one? True. And then our our final nominee would be both Dom and Vince. Vince, there was a time when I didn't know you. That was in the third grade. (laughs) It it gets me every time. It gets me every time. And, uh, you know, Vince gets a bad rap. Deservedly so. Mm -hmm. I'll say, you know, uh, we don't have to defend everybody uh, in the Fast and Furious. But there's a fun little back and forth. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, I love the exchange between Vince and Dom, but you can't beat I live my life a quarter mile at a time. It's it's iconic. It's 
immediately like you think of the franchise and everything they've gone through. Um, and also like looking back, especially in the scene that it comes up in, it's such a, um, uh, an origin for the Dom character. And I feel like he's actually evolved from that line, but still it's so important to who he is. You couldn't go other, any other way than that one. Yep. All right. The, where are they now? So this is less of a reward and more of us trying to speculate on the, the life currently being lived by maybe a character we haven't seen in a long time. And mm -hmm. I feel like there's an obvious one here and it's not just some self promotion on my part, but a, a, <laughs> a, a few years ago, I tracked down Johnny Strong who plays Leon in Fast yes. One. And you may be asking, who is Leon? Lee, I don't remember a Leon. Well, Leon is the member of Dom's crew who loves to wear generic basketball jerseys and, ye <laughs> and yell at pizza delivery guys. Um, so we, we know sadly Jesse dies in this movie. Mm -hmm. we, we thankfully Letty, we thought Letty died, but she's back. Yeah. Um, Same with Han. So Jesse right now, like the only person, Jesse and Giselle, the only people who are like still definitely dead that we know of. Also, Vince, he returned in Fast Five to get his little kind of uh, moment and then he dies mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. But Le Leon's the only original uh, member of Dom's crew that we don't know what his whereabouts are. Um, yeah. So like I said, I talked to Johnny Strong a few years ago. So you can go find that article in the, in over in the archives on EW.com. Um, and he was a trip to talk to because he definitely, uh, <laughs> he was talking about, he, he, he has a lot of theories. He, he says, you know, they have that big final, um, scene right before the, the, the truck jacking that goes bad where yeah. he, there's a little moment where like Leon's like, there's a little hesitation. He's like, are you sure we should be doing this? Like, it doesn't feel right. Um, yeah. you know, to, to do it. Um, without Jesse. And, uh, so in his mind, in Johnny Strong's mind, he's like, oh, that's, you know, Leon had that doubt. So once it became, once the heat became too risky, he didn't want anything more to do with the gang. Um, and I will say, speaking of heat, my favorite part of the interview is he, he compared Leon to Val Kilmer in heat, which coincidentally, oh, wow. which could, coincidentally is quite the heat check by Johnny Strong. Right. Like, <laughs> right. I, Val Kilmer is, iconic in, in heat <laughs> everything in like is iconic in heat so i i just loved that he was like Le this leon character that a lot of people probably right. don't remember his name um he would he would compare to, to val kilmer and Heat. but yeah. i don't know what what do you think he had his own thoughts maybe on what leon would be up to um wh wh i don't know what what do we think is he is he did he uh pass away at some point like what is he still kicking around out there i i like to think he's still out there but the thing that i kind of can't decide is if I, if he's out, I don't think he would betray them either. So I, I think it would be cool if at some point in the films they had to go to Leon for something. Like he just has this one key thing that, you know, for, friend from way back who has this one resource and they need to go back to him. I just think he's like out there doing his thing, probably living like, you know, a legit life maybe if he, if he did, if he was like, all right, actually stealing things, it's too hot for me. <laughs> um, have, have, but you, I, have you been speaking to Johnny Strong? Because I feel like <laughs> hey, that's what he wants. He, he basically yeah. was planting the seeds. He's like, uh, oh, but he'll only, he told me he'd only come back for the right situation. Uh, he, he made it seem like that he, first off, he said that he would want like maybe Leon to be like, the big bad that 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 Don has oh. to go go against, which I'm like, I don't know, man. They've been bringing in like uh, Jason Statham, The Rock, and like yeah. Charlize Theron and John Cena. I, I sorry, I don't know if you're you know quite got that. that uh, yeah, that's that that, wa that wattage for that. Yeah, um, and he also but what I could. What I could see, though, is uh, like it seems like from the trailer for Fast Nine or for F Nine, sorry that. 
Cypher is the basically the one who taps um, Jacob. So I could see Cypher going after, uh, after another person and be like, actually, I'm going to just turn all of the people you know against you. <laughs> so. oh, maybe maybe uh, Jacob went down and, tr- and tried to Leon. Uh, I yeah. Don't know. I don't know. All right. We'll have to stay tuned for F9. I can't wait to get that answer. Um, all right. So I, I said that at the top. There, there, no, no awards love has ever been given to Fast. They, they have not even been nominated for an Oscar. These films deserve some, some love. I mean, mm-hmm. I, w- I won't say that they should be winning Oscars. I mean, I will say that. Save, save that for our Fury 7 episode because See You Again, that uh, should have been the yeah. lock of all locks for best original <laughs> song. Yeah. But each, each episode, we're going to decide what Oscar nomination that specific film should have had. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we're on the same page here. Yeah. What, what, do, you, what, do, what do we think here for, for Fast 1? You have you have to give the best actor nomination to Vin Diesel. You have to do it, and I think it it becomes actually more apparent in retrospect because that scene where he's like, you know, he wants to show Brian uh, something, and it's the car that eventually becomes for everybody like the iconic car. Um, but the thing that you can kind of forget until you go back to watch it is it's. I think might be the only time that Dom admits to being scared of something. And he's scared of this car and like what happened to his dad. And that scene is so emotional and sets up so much of who Dom really is. Like we see the way he interacts with the crew. We see how Brian earns his respect, but we don't actually get to what his heart is until he sort of lays it all out in that scene. Um, And he does such a good job. And if that scene doesn't work, the character doesn't work. The franchise can't continue because then you don't really believe in like his code, what really matters to him. Uh, but he sells it and it's perfect and it's still golden 20 years later. So gotta, gotta be Vin Diesel. Vin's just so good in this first movie. Obviously his portrayal ends up, is just iconic throughout, but yeah. this one, and this one, like you said, it's so different than any of the other ones. And it's, I would say, obviously it's not usually even this kind of movie, even it's lower stakes than what's to come. Not, right. It's not traditionally an Oscar type movie. I understand that. But 2002 Oscars, Denzel Washington wins Best Actor for Training Day. Mm-hmm. You can't tell me that Training Day is that much better a movie or that much different a movie than The Fast and the Furious one. Yeah. Written by David Ayer, both of these. Good point. Um, yeah, absolutely. So the DNA is there, the shared DNA. And I mean, obviously, Denzel, I'm not going to say that like Denzel shouldn't have won the Oscar that year. I mean... Yeah. He he was incredible in Training Day. It's that performance still holds up. It's insane that it even took that long for him to get recognized as best actor. Yeah, but, but the precedent was set that, that 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 kind of movie could get you in. Yep, exactly. And mm-hmm. I mean, I, I got the nominees pulled up. You know, so Denzel wins for Training Day. Russell Crowe nominated for A Beautiful Mind. Will Smith nominated for Ali. I mean, anybody who knows, I'm equally obsessed with Will Smith as I am Fast and Furious. So (laughs) stay tuned for the binge Will Smith podcast uh, coming soon. Um, We have Tom Wilkinson in the bedroom. I'll just admit, never seen it. No. This is the one that I'd take out. Sean Penn, I am Sam. That that aged terribly from the minute it happened. Yeah. So I think we just retroactively slot Vin in that Sean Penn slot and justice is served. I think so too. I, I completely agree. And, um, you make a good point about them being similar types of movies. So like you could sneak Vin in there and, and, and give him his due. Cause he does a, he does a great job. And I feel like in general, Vin Diesel doesn't get enough credit for his acting. Um, and this is a movie, especially out of any in the franchise that I think he really deserves that recognition. 
Yeah, absolutely. Which plot line went by too fast? Chanel, what do you think? It's for me, it's got to be the Johnny Tran stuff, um, especially in retrospect. Like it, it makes a lot of sense um, in the context of the movie, but it kind of also ends up being a little bit, with the exception of everything that happens with Jesse and stuff at the end, a little bit of a red herring because it's not really about the rivalry with Johnny Tran. It's not really about anything going on with that character. So that means we don't get to know a lot about him. The only time we see the people in his life that he does care about outside of just being sort of an antagonist in the movie is in a montage where nobody speaks. So I would love to uh, dig into that a little more. Unfortunately, from the movie, it seems like Johnny Tran is dead. So there's no opportunity to go back and like see what he's doing now. Um, But that is a person I would be curious to learn more about. Did we ever get definitive on that? I, you know, I, uh, I feel like again, it was a situation where like Brian's yeah. like, uh, call an ambulance and then runs off. Um, exactly. It's a no, little ambiguous. Yeah. No, but you're, you're, you're totally right because, um, it almost is set up like, right? Like Dom's actually more the big bad of that mm-hmm. first movie. Um, so then that, unfortunately, that kind of slides Johnny Tran over a bit. But yeah, I feel like that there was a lot of potential. Rick Yoon. A really good actor, you know, who's yep. done some some good things. So I feel like he could have uh, further developed that character if given the opportunity here in the film. Um, so I mean, nothing we can do about that now, but you know, I definitely think there was there was more to be done with the Johnny Tran character. Totally agree. Yeah. Um, the We Hungry Award. A little tip of the hat to uh, to Roman Pierce <laughs> yeah. and Tyrese. There, I just always love. We'll get into that on on our Too Fast episode. Too fast. But the, the way he said We Hungry every time gets me. Um, I feel like there could have been a few options. I don't know if it's, you know, technically counts as, you know, being hungry, but like when, uh, when Dom and Brian come back to the house after the, the race gets, gets busted up and, uh, Dom, uh, takes, uh, Vince's beer and gives it to, to Brian and Brian just like uses his shirt to wipe it off. Wipe it off. Um, it's, it's so good. And just the look that, that, uh, Vince and Brian just looking at each other, uh, is perfect. (laughs) But I mean, the tuna sandwich, right? I mean, the, the yeah. we got to give a shout out to the tuna sandwich. We haven't talked much about Jordana Brewster and the character of Mia, who um, obviously, as the movies go, she gets more to do in some and less to do in other films. But um, she was really uh, winning in this film, I think. Um, mm-hmm. You get the appeal and you get why why Brian would be drawn to her. Um, and uh, I mean, still 20 years later, I as Dom asked, I, what did Mia put in that sandwich? I mean, we know, we, we, <laughs> yeah. we, we know it wasn't actually that good. Apparently, you know, we, <laughs> yeah. we, we've been told that. Uh, so I don't know. I, but I, I, I wouldn't mind. I've been, I, I, uh, drove over during quarantine to the Toretto shop and I was definitely bummed that there was no like tuna sandwiches for Option sale there. or anything like I, they have to. Yeah. I, I bought a Corona, but there was no tuna. I would have loved to have that Corona with a tuna sandwich, but. It doesn't even have to be good, according to the movie. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mentioned, we gave a shout out to Ja Rule earlier. Maybe, you know, Ja Rule, if you're listening, I mean, come on, if you are, please. I mean, we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll do a special episode with you. But the Ja Rule mistake of the week. Now, for mm-hmm. context, we have Ja Rule here in this first movie. And we'll get into this more in Too Fast. Ja Rule, I said he was, he was kind of popping really uh, at this time. He had the opportunity to come back for a bigger role in Too Fast. Mm-hmm. Turned it down. Hence the award, the job rule mistake of the week. Yeah. And this, and this again, this goes back to one earlier. We'd say like it could be a, a, a plot mistake or a character mistake, anything like that. But I think we both landed on 
Vince basically sending Mia into Brian's arms, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that was like the the thing that he was so pressed about. <laughs> and he ends up being the reason it happens <laughs> in a way. Yeah, for the context, you know, with everyone, I mean, obviously you've seen the film, I'm sure, but for your memory, if it has, if it's been a while, you know, uh, Mia's kind of resistant, even though you can tell she instantly, she's, she's definitely into Brian. There's some attraction. Uh, yeah. yeah, but she's like, I don't date my brother's friends, whatever. But then he, you know, after the barbecue, the, you know, Brian's helping Mia with the dishes as the rest of the crew is watching a movie and Vince comes in to, to microwave some popcorn. And he, he busts, uh, you know, Brian's chops about helping with the, with the dishes. I would say yeah. bust, bust chops is more of a friendly thing. So it's not even that. He's just outwardly like trying to make fun of him. And, yeah. uh, but then that completely backfires. And, you know, Mia's like, Oh, Vince, what was that place you wanted to, uh, to go on a date to? And then he gets all excited and, you know, says it. I think it's cha 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 or something like that. And yeah. then, uh, she's like, All right, Brian, so you'll take me there. And then, yeah. you know, Vince charges out. So it's like, man, maybe you would have kept your mouth shut. Played the long game. I mean, I doubt. I'm sorry, Vince. I don't think you were ever getting Mia, but you know, right, maybe, right. maybe Brian wouldn't have gotten Mia either. So, um, yeah, just bad move. Even though we should point out, Vince was right in the end. He he was mm-hmm. right. He was right about Brian. He was right to be suspicious. So, lose a point, gain a point for Vince. Right, right, right. He's. I think it's like one of those things. Like right, but also losing the long game. Um, but he at least also gets to say that later on when he comes back. He's like, I was right and you didn't trust me then. So, uh, a, a little bit of justice for him as well. Yeah, we're, we're all about justice in this franchise, thankfully. Um, <laughs> yeah. wrapping up lastly, as we know, winning's winning. So, Chanel, who was the ultimate winner of Fast One? I mean, we just said that Vin Diesel had to be nominated for an Oscar. So I think you can't really go with anybody else but him in this movie, uh, both because of what it means for the franchise as a whole and, you know, how it kickstarts this this amazing legacy now for the character and for Vin Diesel as a performer. Um, but also just because in the movie, he's so cool and so interesting <laughs> and you know, he, alongside me as just the Toretto family, is the reason that Brian decides to basically change his entire life. <laughs> so how could it be anybody else but Vin Diesel? Yeah, I mean, it's ironic, right? You know, he doesn't return, obviously, for Too Fast, which we'll we'll get more into right. uh, next week. But, I mean, no nobody has been a bigger winner out of the whole franchise than, than mm-hmm. Vin Diesel. Uh, but no, you're, you're totally right here. I mean, if we, if we say a guy should be nominated for an Oscar, he probably won um the film and uh i mean he he won our interview too i thought he was he was so great to talk to um he had some some incredible stories such a fun interview so thank you to vin thank you listeners that's it for this episode and and like brian o'connor uh we hope you earned we earned your respect in the meantime please subscribe and listen along every week wherever you get your podcasts Rate us, share the show with your friends, tell us what you think. You can find us on Twitter at Derek J. Lawrence or me at Chanel Berlin. Also head to EW.com for complete coverage of the Fast Saga and full episode transcripts. This episode was hosted and produced by Derek Lawrence and Chanel Berlin Johnson, produced, edited, and mixed by Sammy Junio, and executive produced by Carly Usden and Shana Naomi Krokmo. Thanks for listening, and until next time, salute me podcast familia.